Precious Lord, take my hand. How many of you have ever felt that before? Lord, I need you to take my hand. Lead me through. Lead me through. I want you to speak his name with me this morning. If you're here in this room in the Alamo City Worship Center, we're going to say his name together. But wherever you may be, by yourself or with your family or with friends, let's say his name. Now, now here's what I want you to do. Don't want to just be saying the name into the air or just making the sound of the word. I want you to sense that you're speaking his name to him. So let's do that together. Jesus. 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 His name means rescuer. His name means deliverer. His name means provider. His name speaks of the best friend you will ever have. His name speaks of the lover of your soul. The name Jesus. 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 The greatest name. The most powerful word in all of the universe. The name Jesus. So proudly, but with a humble heart, with a celebrating heart, we, we speak your name, Lord Jesus. 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 I want to talk to you this morning about three things Jesus can still do. Three things Jesus can still do. He doesn't have to be elected to do them. He doesn't have to be paid to do them. He, can't, he doesn't have to be applauded when he does them, but he still does these three things. Many, many more, but just these three this morning. I want you to take your copy of the Scripture, please, and open your Bible to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 5. Now, let me start reading, and you, you catch up. I've got my Bible marked, so that's why I'm a little quicker, maybe, on the draw here. Luke, chapter 5, verse 1. Now, it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the Word of God... He, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake. But the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. They were ready to go to the house. It had been a long stretch of fishing and not catching a minnow. He got into one of the boats, though, and which was Simon, Simon Peter's. And he asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the multitudes from the boat. And when he had finished, when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master or Sir, we worked hard all night caught nothing, but at your bidding, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break, and they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats 
so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners, business partners, with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought the boats to land, they left everything and followed him. One thing Jesus can do is that he can rescue a business for a listener. He can rescue a business. He can he can rescue a livelihood. He can rescue an opportunity for a listener, for a listener. This story in the life of Jesus is not here just to cover up space on a page and to be relegated to something that happened all those centuries ago and it not have any relevance to us today. These stories in your Bible are to say to you, the Lord Jesus Christ who did these things back then is still able to do these things today. He is the same, the scripture says, he is the same. Can you say same with me? He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In this situation, in this case, in the life of Simon Peter and his partners, they needed some help with their business. I asked exactly what I said. They needed some help with their business. They had bills to pay. They had children to take care of. They had a wife or wives to not have to be worried about where's the next meal coming from. They were running a business. And they had been working hard at their line of work all that one night. And these are pros at fishing. These are experts. They knew the lake. They knew the weather. They knew where the fish ought to be and all of those kinds of things. And they hadn't caught a thing. They had, no, they had no product to sell at the market. I'm just trying to make this as, as practical, as, as hands-on as we can get it. Sometimes, folks, we forget how real Jesus Christ wants to be in our lives. We, we lock him up in the church house. Or we leave him closed up in the pages of the gospel. Oh, we don't realize, oh, we won't let ourselves carry this in our hearts when we fish all night and hadn't caught a blooming thing, that Jesus really does care about how you make a living. He cares about your business. He cares about the work of your hands. 
And he wants to bless the work of your hands. Could you say that back to me? He wants to bless the works of my hands. One more time. He wants to bless the works of my hands. Simon Peter needed to understand that Jesus cared about him, that Jesus cared about his livelihood, and he cared enough to bless him in a way that Simon Peter could get it. Very likely, Simon Peter had witnessed a whole bunch of people getting healed, touched by the hands of Jesus, and healed in his yard. But he still wasn't convinced. He was convinced that those people got a blessing. It was a good thing for all those people who got healed. But as far as he was concerned, Jesus was still a good teacher. Jesus was an admired man. But folks, it wasn't until Jesus got in his boat, got into his business, and gave him a specific instruction that Simon Peter took, that Simon Peter listened to and implemented And the result being all of those two boatloads of fish in the very same water that he had done his best with his business partners and they had come up with a big fat goose egg. Jesus enters the equation. Jesus gives him an instruction. He follows the instruction. He works to implement the instruction of Jesus. And the result was The result was that so many fish swam into those nets that they couldn't pick them up without tumping the boats over. The the boats were filled to overflowing. And then it says that Simon Peter was convinced of who Jesus was. And we know that because he says in response, Depart from me, Lord. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. You are a holy man. I'm a sinful man. Because the only way this could have happened to me is that a holy man had the power enough to do this. And it's your blessing upon my life. In effect, it's your blessing upon my business that has broken my heart to the place of realizing I need you. I want you. I love you. I'm amazed at you. I don't want to ever be separated from you. So he, he, he ends up walking away from his business to follow Jesus for the next three years. My brothers and my sisters, whether you are a small business owner, whether you're in some chain of command in a corporate structure, where you are, whether you are an independent salesman, whether you are, you are working on, in retail or whatever it would be, The Lord Jesus Christ wants you to know he has a heart to bless your business. And when there is a downturn, it matters to him. When there is a concern to you, he's fully aware of it. And he has the power and he has the heart to bless the work of your hands. Now, that's important for us at this season and time where there can be uncertainty on a whole bunch of other levels. But there is no uncertainty with who loves you. There is no uncertainty with the commitment of the Lord Jesus Christ to you and yours and that which affects you. You matter to him. And he wants to bless you. We find that 
That same thing that Jesus did is repeated after Jesus was raised from the dead. This is in John chapter, chapter 21. Simon, Peter, and the disciples, the apostles have been following Jesus for, for a while. He's been crucified, buried. He's raised from the dead. He was told them to meet him at the Sea of Galilee where this first thing happened. But here we go again. The Lord wanting to say to Simon Peter, and as he says it to Peter and the brothers around him, he says it to us, that he knows how to measurably bless us. He knows how to convince us in a language and in a way that we will get it, that he is real and that he loves me and that he will not leave me as an orphan. He will not abandon me. He knows how to bless even a business. Now, they had left their business far behind, but look at what happens again. This is in John chapter 21, verse 3. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, well, we'll come with you. And they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was now breaking, Jesus stood on the beach, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus therefore said to them, children, you don't have any fish, do you? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right-hand side of the boat, and you'll find a catch. And they cast forth therefore, and then, the, and, and then they were not able to haul it in because of the great number of fish. The disciple therefore whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. So Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. He put his outer garment on for he was, he was stripped for work and he threw himself into the sea. He's about 100 yards from the bank. Simon Peter took off swimming to get to Jesus as quick as he could. And the other disciples were left to try to bring all those fish up on the bank. 153, it says, of, of those large fish when they went to meet Jesus on the Sea of Galilee following his, erection, his resurrection on that, on that day. Folks, it, it, it was, it, it's all about, it's all about the Lord wanting to say to his men, wanting to say to his people, men and women, whoever you are, I know where you are. I know what you need. And I have the ability to bless you. Just do what I instruct you to do. Folks, this, we would never have read that story about Simon Peter and, the, and all those fish, those two boatloads of fish, if Simon Peter had not done the one thing that Jesus asked him to do. The trigger for the release of the power of God to bless Simon Peter was him saying back to the Lord and acting upon it, but at your bidding, Lord, we'll put the nets down again. If Simon Peter, though he was in the presence of Jesus, though he had heard all the things that Jesus was saying, though he had seen what the Lord was doing in other people, Simon Peter would have missed that blessing that rocked his world if he had not acted upon what Jesus said to him. Folks, the trigger, the trigger for the blessing of God to be unloaded on you and me can in so many ways, in so many places, be found at the point of our obedience to the Lord. And it's not a complicated thing. Jesus wasn't saying, 
You know, figure out how to design a, an outboard motor, and then Simon Peter, that's going to result in you being able to go out there and, and, and sane for all those fish and get them in that way. It wasn't that. He just said, you, you just back, get back in your boat with your nets on the lake you're familiar with, and you trust me to do something that you couldn't do for yourself. With all your energy, with all your determination, with the skilled crew around you, you've come up with a big fat goose egg. But watch this. Watch this. Watch what I can do with your boat and your nets and your crew if you will just do what I'm saying to do. That's why we try to put it in this way. One of the things that Jesus know, knows how to do is that he restores, he rescues livelihood for the listener, for the one who will listen and the one who will obey. I want to say this again, please. The Lord is not necessarily, as he speaks to business people, he's not necessarily going to be quoting scripture to you. He may there may be a principle from Scripture to be applied. But here's what, we, here's what we know is true. Jesus would say in John 10, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus has the capacity by way of the Spirit of Jesus alive in you to speak to you specific instructions, specific things to do that you will understand what he means when he says do them. And the encouragement here, the challenge here, is obey the voice of the Spirit to your heart in business. In business. In business. Again, this was the rescuing or the restoring of provision for a business. It would result in Simon Peter and the others, his partners, leaving the business and following Jesus for those three years and perhaps even farther. But they still, they still, at this point in time, had a business to run, and Jesus met them in the business. Let me show you, in case you hadn't read it in a while, let me just, let me just point out again Deuteronomy 28. Sometimes we think the Lord's just so, he's more mad about us and more mad at us than he is glad about us. Sometimes we can think the Lord is predisposed to shrink instead of to multiply. Sometimes we can get the idea that the Lord's heart is to make things hard always and never blessed with comfort and ease. Life is a combination of all of the above. But Satan is the one who comes to steal kill and destroy. Jesus is the one speaking forth for the Father. He is the one who has the heart to bless those who listen to him and obey him and follow him. This is Deuteronomy 28 again, verse 3. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. All these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. That literally means if you will listen to the Lord your God. And the understanding is do what you hear. Do what he's saying to do. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Skip down to verse 6. 
Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They shall come against you one way and shall flee before you seven ways. Look at verse 8. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Verse 11, and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body and the offspring of your beast and so forth. The Lord will open for you his good, verse 12, his good storehouse, the heaven, to give rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. Folks, can you just, can we, can we agree with that? To, to speak that back to the Lord, his heart is to bless all the work of your hand. What does that mean? Your business. The way, the, may you, the way you make a living. When it says he, 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 can, he has the power to command the blessing. You know what happened? When Simon Peter and those other fishermen got loaded up with fish, somewhere there was a command. Fish, fish, swim that way. And as they swam, they bumped their heads into a net and they kept bumping into each other and kept bumping into each other. The fish loaded up the net because the Lord commanded them to fill up the net. The same God, oh goodness, the same God who can command those fish way back then can command blessing upon you in your life and in your business if you will let him, if you'll have your ears set to listen. Instead of feeling like God really doesn't care, I'm going to just, just, you know, I do my best to be in church or listen to these streaming services, but then the whole rest of my life, it's up to me to, 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 to make it happen. You can live that way. Or you can understand that there is a far better way to live. And it is to understand that the Lord has given me these hands. The Lord has given me the mind. The Lord has tweaked me and wired me in particular ways that would make me drawn in a particular way that can result in me making a living with my hands. He does that. He's given that to you because those are vessels upon which he wants his blessings to fall. Receive it. Receive it. Receive it. Instead of wondering what's going to happen in January or how we're going to make it six months from now and six years from now, that, that's, not our, that's not our wheelhouse. That, that's not where we're supposed to spend our time. But where we can spend our time is, Lord, you know what the works of my hands are. You know I've been working hard. I've been doing these things, trying to do things right. But, Lord, I'm, I feel like old Simon Peter and those boys, I feel like I've worked all night and hadn't caught a perch, <laughs> hadn't, hadn't hooked a minnow. And I need you. I need you, Lord, to bless me. Don't be afraid to pray that way. You say, well, I'm not holy enough. Who is? There's only been one holy, perfectly holy man, and his name isn't your name. His name is Jesus. He specializes in rescuing sinners like you and me. He specializes in picking us up out of the slop and changing the way we think so that we're in a posture more fitting for his blessing to come upon our lives. David would say, this is a, an amazing statement. Even though David was known for his good deeds, King David was known for his kindness in many ways. He was known for his close walk with the Lord, and the Psalms are just filled with 
with his intimate times with the Lord, writing those things down. But David, David failed majorly and miserably at a season in his life. But never did David give up on that conviction in his heart that God's heart for him, David, God's heart for his people is mercy. God's heart is kindness. God's heart is to restore. God's heart is to bless, to bless, to bless. Look, look at how this is spoken in Psalm 35, 27. The Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of his servant. The Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of his servant. Now, wait a minute. Somebody say, well, you're just talking about money. You're just talking about cars. You're just talking about property. You're just talking about the, the lavish wealth. Absolutely not. Wealth and material things can certainly be a piece of prosperity, but how many filthy rich people have we come across in our lifetime who are miserable to the core? They don't have two kids that want to be around them. Couldn't keep a spouse for all the money that they could spend on them. Poverty, poverty, though surrounded by wealth. But the heart of the Lord for prosperity is to cause you, to enable you to be blessed with good things, to, to prosper in all the categories of your life. Family, professional, emotional, spiritual, all the categories. That it is the heart of the Lord to prosper his servant, to prosper the one who listens to him to prosper the one who will obey him and honor him. It was his desire to prosper Simon Peter, but he couldn't prosper Simon Peter in that day unless Simon Peter put his number 11 back over the edge of that boat and pushed off and started dumping nets out in the water. Simon Peter was Jesus' servant at that point, a servant to his word. And as a result of Simon Peter serving the word of the Lord, who was serving Jesus, the blessing of the Lord came upon him. It's the same for us. It's the same for us. That's why we will say, and, and remember that, that Malachi 3.10 place where the, the Lord will say, you test me now in this. I'm giving you permission to test me, to put me on trial, legal term, and see if this is not how I will act and respond. You honor me with the first 10% of that which I bless you with. That's talking about business. That's talking about livelihood. That's talking about income. You see, if when you honor me with the first 10%, if I will not open for you the wonders of heaven and pour out for you a blessing too great to be contained. His heart is to bless. His heart is to bless. Don't get sucked into Gloom and doom, depression and hesitation and fear that can be, is, will always try to come against the church to move us away from the place of faith and move us a place away from the place of obeying what the Lord, listening to what the Lord has said. Honor me. It's as if Paul or Jesus is speaking to, to Simon here. If you honor me, I will honor you. You honor me and I will honor you. Jesus Jesus is still able to rescue businesses, to rescue livelihood, to restore income, and to 
to cause there to be a reviving of opportunities for the ones who will listen to him. Instead of writing off, we go, God, you just don't understand. You just don't understand. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. Simon Peter said, you don't understand how hard we walk, Lord Jesus. You, you don't understand how far out it is and how back it is, and we had to paddle every step of the way. And we didn't have a generator to raise and lower this. But Jesus still said, one more time, you trust me. You trust me. You trust me. And Simon Peter obeyed, and the blessing is history. Folks, that's there for us. You may feel like I fished all night and hadn't caught anything. What is the Lord saying to you today? What's the instruction that he's giving you? What is the beckoning that he would give you? So you mean, you mean the Lord could really, he really would say something would have to do with, with, with personnel and management and plans and, and, and financial status and, and operational things? Absolutely. 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 My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. He has a heart to speak. He has a heart to bless the work of your hands. Okay? Now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to quit a little earlier today. You can hold me to that, I think. Shirley's here on the front row, and she's gonna, she'll, she'll be approaching the pulpit if I, if I don't keep this promise. I believe that we're supposed to pray. Pray for businesses. Pray for business owners. Pray for those of you in retail and so forth. We're going to come back and, and have an altar call, but it's not going to be one of those virtual altar calls. I'm just going to invite you to join with me. And I want to pray with you for your business and for the income and for the streams of revenue where in this season in, in our lives and in the life of our nation, there can be some degree of concern because our position is going to be, it's the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus. He hadn't changed. Who blessed Peter, who was able to make our provision possible as well too. So he rescues. He knows how to rescue livelihood for the listeners. Secondly, secondly. He has the ability to take care of you when you can't take care of yourself. He has the ability, he has the heart to take care of you when you can't take care of yourself. Now, that may not be true for everybody because the works of our hands we just talked about. The, 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 we, we can have the ability to engage in, in things that would result in the means to take care of ourselves. But there are other settings and other seasons in lives where that may not be possible for you. Then what? Then what? I want you to find a place in the Old Testament, the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 4. 2 Samuel chapter 4. I want to give you a bit of a background on one man, one young man, and how God took care of him when he couldn't take care of himself. This is 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. Now, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son crippled in his feet. He was five years old when the report of Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. The report from the battlefield that Saul, the king of Israel, and Jonathan, his son, had been killed on the field of battle. And his nurse took him up and fled. 
And it happened that in her hurry to flee, he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth, a son of Jonathan, David's closest friend, who was also the son of Saul. Saul, the king of Israel, who grew passionately committed to destroying David because he had heard that David was God's appointed heir to the throne. And so he hunted him. Like I said, Saul was in power for 40 years. And on toward the end of that time, David was hunted like an animal. His life was threatened on every front. But Jonathan, Saul's son, had befriended David. It says that their souls were knit, knit together. Jonathan loved David. David loved Jonathan. Jonathan had a little boy, five years old, who when the news came that his daddy had been killed and his grandfather had been killed, the nanny or the nurse picked him up as would have been thought the thing to do. Invading armies that killed the king and the son would also would then move into where the royal family would be holed up and would try to destroy them and take over the land. So she gathered him up and fled. In some way or another, some, we're not sure exactly what happened. Either she dropped him and, it, and, it, and both of his legs broke or his ankles broke, or he was, she tried to put him on a cart and he, was, he fell off of that and was run over by the wheels of the cart. We don't know what happened. But the enduring injury meant that this little boy grew up to be a young man, crippled, crippled, unable to work, unable to fulfill what he would have wanted to fulfill as a young man. Turn over a few chapters to chapter 9, 2 Samuel chapter 9. Then David said, now once, once Saul has been killed, now the way is cleared for David to be put on the throne of Israel. It took a while for the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, to agree that David would be the ruler overall, as Saul had been. But once that happened, and David was enthroned, the crown on his head, scepter in his hand, authority was his, he begins to pursue something. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba or Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there anyone yet, is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, where is he? Verse 5, then David sent and brought him from the house of Machir. Verse 6, and Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. 
And he said, here is your servant. And David said to him, do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again, he prostrated himself and said, what is your servant? This is Meshibaphel speaking. What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba, Ziba and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house, I have given your master's grandson. And you and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your, mother, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, your servant to do, so Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. Verse 13. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly, and now he was lame in both feet. He was lame in both feet, meaning he couldn't take care of himself and his family to the degree that he would want to take care of, if at all. But God, in his mercy for Mephibosheth, put a tender spot a warm place in the heart of the man who had all the authority at that, on that spot of the globe at that time. And from that place, God's heart was poured out to this young man, lame in both feet. He was given all that his father had, the private land that Jonathan had, but David took it a step further. He gave to Jonathan the private land that his grandfather, the king, Saul, owned. But beyond that, he said, it's not just enough for you to have land that will be taken care of. It will produce crops and you'll get income from. I want you to sit personally with me at my table and my family from this day on. I will take care of you. That was the heart of God working through David to take care of a, of a man who couldn't take care of himself. Folks, if the Lord's done that before, the Lord can do that again. Now, Jonathan or, or, or Mephibosheth had to humble himself because he would have preferred to not have those two lame feet. He would prefer to be able to provide through his own hands for his family and so forth. But it was the means of God's kindness, the means of God's tenderness to take care of him in that way. I want us to pray in just a few minutes for those of you who may find yourself in a place where you are having to be, you're needing to be taken care of by ones who generously with the compassion of the Lord working in their hearts are taking care of you. And we want to pray that the Lord will give you the ability to receive it as from the Lord. Instead of saying, God, couldn't you do any better? Could, couldn't you do this any better than for me to have to be on the receiving end? Well, it's his plan for now. And heaven, heaven, there are no crutches. Heaven, there are no wheelchairs. Heaven, there are no cemeteries. Heaven, there are no hospitals and ER rooms. And, you know, preachers and doctors are out of work in heaven. Yeah. 
We have the great teacher, the greatest preacher, the Lord himself, and they're doing the preaching and the teaching, and there's no need for anybody to be healed because everybody is well in heaven. But I want to show you something else about Mephibosheth's life. And this may be, this may be something that is more relevant to more of us than that part of being taken care of when we can't take care of ourselves. Ziba, you remember that name? Remember, hang on to that a minute. Time passed. The, the, the rule of David prospered until the sin with Bathsheba, the other man's wife that he took as his own, and to cover his tracks, arranged for her husband Uriah to be murdered, to be killed on the field of battle. It was a season of the dark night of the soul for David. He went to places in his spirit and heart that he had never been before. But Psalm 51 is the record of David being brought back to the Lord. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And the Lord did that. Take not your Holy Spirit from me, Lord. And, and the Lord restored David. But as a result of what he did, it, it left room for the enemy to do some things within his own family. And Absalom, the fair-haired favorite son in a sense of David, grew up to become a, a challenger of the throne. And he, he, he worked to get the leadership, military and civil, to back him. He, he, he worked with the common people saying, you've not been judged fairly, but if I were king, I would be judging you fairly. I would give you more than what you have been receiving and so forth. And as a result, he mustered enough of a, an army, military support, to march against Jerusalem to overthrow his own father as the king and that he would become the king. We find, as David, in humiliation, is leaving Jerusalem because his son Absalom has, has marshaled this treasonous plot against him and so many had bought into it that David was having to flee with his family and a number of close supporters. But this is in chapter 16, 2 Samuel 16. Now when David had passed, the verse 1, a little beyond the summit, behold, Ziba, the servant of Mephibosheth, met him with a couple of saddled donkeys, and on them were 200 loaves of bread and 100 clusters of raisins and 100 summer fruits and a jug of wine. And here comes Ziba coming to help the king, help David to assist him as he's fleeing. He, he sends them these, these treats or these means of refreshment for the ones that, were, that are in the entourage and for those two donkeys, for the family, members of the family to, to ride on. Verse 3, and the king said to Ziba, where, where is your master's son? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is staying in Jerusalem, for he said today, the house of Israel will restore the kingdom to my father. He told a lie about Mephibosheth to David the king. This, 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 this personal servant became a traitor to helpless Mephibosheth. He fabricates this lie regarding Mephibosheth. David is fleeing, and he says to David, Mephibosheth is waiting 
so that the overturn can be complete and he can become king, which was absolutely the farthest thing from Mephibosheth's heart. You look at verse 4, look what happened. So the king said to Ziba, Behold, all that belongs to Mephibosheth is yours. Ziba said, I prostrate myself. Let me find favor in your sight, O my lord, the king. He manufactured that story in order to ingratiate himself to the king and to, by virtue of the king's decree, to have everything that had been given by the king to Mephibosheth stripped away, and he owns it now. I don't know how many of you may have ever been the victim of lies. The victim of lies to someone whom you wanted to be a friend of, whom you genuinely respected and you wanted to honor. But somebody gets in the mix and they end up telling lies to that person about you. And since you are not there to defend yourself, you are just completely a victim of the lie that has been told until such time as God says the lie has gone on long enough. Time is on the side of truth. There is not enough power in the universe to keep falsehood in place. When the spirit of truth, who is the Holy Spirit who lives within us, Jesus would say, the spirit of truth will guide you into all the truth. And that's what he is able to do even before the truth about us is vindicated. The Spirit of God at work in our hearts will refuse to give up on the hope and even the certainty that one day what is true about me and my heart toward this person will come out. One day it will be told. I want you to go a few more pages over. David returns. Absalom has been killed. The throne is being given back to David. And we find David returning. Verse 24, this is 2 Samuel 19. Then Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, actually this is the grandson of Saul, son of Jonathan, came down to meet the king. And he had neither cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he came home in peace. Those were expressions of deep grief in the heart of Mephibosheth. He quit taking care of himself. He quit taking care of his feet, didn't trim his mustache. All of that was an indication that he was grieving. He was grieving. Not that he was glad that David was run out and that he would be king. The exact opposite was the truth about his heart. He didn't want David to be removed from the throne. That's who he longed to be on the throne. So look at verse 25. And it was when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king David said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? In other words, when we fled, why did you stay? Why, why weren't you with the group as we left, as we were fleeing? Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? Verse 20, so he answered, oh, my Lord, the king, my servant deceived me. Ziba deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. But what, how, how come we get the mention of those two donkeys that were sent to David with all the stuff on them, all the goods on them? Ziba took the means for Mephibosheth to be able to escape. Since he couldn't walk, 
he, he, he took the family transportation and left it that he now would be the one to deliver what he wanted the king to believe about Mephibosheth's unfaithfulness and about his faithfulness as a traitor. It was a plot of dark evil, and Mephibosheth was absolutely helpless to defend himself until now. Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? He answered, Oh, my Lord, the king, my servant, deceive me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go with the king because your servant is lame. Moreover, he has slandered your servant to my Lord, the king. But my Lord, the king is like the angel of God. Therefore, do what is good in your sight. For all my father's household was nothing but dead men before my Lord, the king. Yet you set your servant among those who ate at your own table. What right do I have yet that I should complain anymore to the king? The result was that David determined that Ziba and Mephibosheth would divide up the property. Somehow David saw, at least in Ziba's heart, a desire to help him, some degree of loyalty, even though he was, he was twisted in his treatment of Mephibosheth. There was a kindness in David's heart. So the two men divided up the property. But Mephibosheth was restored to the king's presence. And Mephibosheth was able to speak to the king, speak to the one who had been lied to about him. He was able to speak directly to the king and tell the king the truth. And the king was able to embrace what now was the rest of the story. Folks, God is on the side of truth. It's not just that time is on the side of truth. God is on the side of truth. Where you have been lied about, where perpetrations have taken place against you with regarding the ones that you genuinely care about, the Spirit of the Lord in His timing has the ability and will expose the lie. Everything that is done in secret, Jesus said, will be shouted from the rooftop. Everything that is hidden will be exposed. God will make sure and certain that that which is wrong is made right and is corrected in His timing and in His way. That is the Jesus whom we serve. That is the Jesus who says to you, I love you. That when, when Paul would write in Titus chapter 3, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not on the basis of our righteousness, works of righteousness, but according to his mercy. The heart of the Lord toward you is not anger, hostility, distance, coldness, poutiness. The heart of the Lord toward you is that he loves you because he picked you out. He chose you before there was ever dirt in San Antonio. And he predestined that you and I would be adopted into the family of God. We are temporarily ones with the same last name down here. We are temporarily ones who are biologically, biologically, genetically connected with those around us. But the bottom line for you, the bottom line for me in Christ, is that you and I are sons and daughters of Almighty God. You and I are sons and daughters of the King. But to as many of you as received Jesus, to these he gave the right to be called the children of God, even of those who believe in his name. Children of God. Children of God. Children of God, right now driving an old truck, you know, right now having to limp along with some of this body. Outer man perish, inner man is, is being renewed day by day. But it's just a temporary situation. I'm headed somewhere. This isn't all that there is of you or me. Child of the king, God's on the side of truth. God's on the side of truth. God's on the side of truth. 
you will very likely in your time, in, in time be able to speak to the very ones who have been lied to about you. That the Lord in his vindication of your commitment to trust him and to wait upon him, he will give you the ability to set the record straight as he arranges circumstances not in place at the time that the lie was told and you were unable to defend yourself, but you watch how the Lord sets it up. He loves justice. He loves judgment, the scripture says. He loves seeing what is right come forth. He loves the vindication of his servant. I don't know who that's for necessarily, but let it in if that fits your situation. Here's the last thing. Here is the last thing we list today that Jesus can do. Not only does he have the power and the ability in the heart to rescue livelihood for the listener and that he can take care of you when you can't take care of yourself and he has the ability to reconcile relationships that lies have ruined. But this one, Jesus even raises the dead. Jesus even raises the dead. If you look very quickly at Luke chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, verse 11, Jesus walking through Israel, Verse 11, and it came about soon afterward that he went to a city called Nain. And his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large multitude. Now as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her, and he said, do not weep. And he came up and touched the coffin, and the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. And fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her and said to her, Do not weep. He stopped the funeral procession and said, Young man, I say to you, arise. Folks, that happened again in John chapter 11. The two sisters, Mary and Martha, sent word to Jesus that their brother was sick. Jesus' response is, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified in it. Jesus, in that case, went to the tomb of Lazarus. The stone rolled away, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. Folks, I don't know what it may be in your life that you feel like has died. It has died. All hopes have been dashed. There seem to be no signs of life anywhere. And as a result, you've concluded it's dead, it's gone. There's no reason to even think more about it. And we read a verse like this. 
and we realize that Jesus Christ is the one who has the power to even raise the dead. Physically is one way, yes, but oh my goodness, folks, how he has the power to raise someone spiritually dead by calling the dead man or dead woman's name. I am Jesus, he said to Saul of Tarsus, whom you were persecuting. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Why is that so significant? Because there is way more importance to be attached to the Lord having the power to raise somebody who's spiritually dead than it is for us to know he can raise somebody physically dead. You get raised from physical death one time, and you're going to face physical death again. It is appointed that a man wants to die, and after that, the judgment. This young man would face death again. Lazarus would face death again. But Jesus would say, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live again. It's the power of Jesus to raise to life a dead soul. The soul is in a body. The spirit is in a body, but dead. The the body can see. The body can think. The body can articulate thoughts and words. The body can function. But there is a part of that person that is graveyard dead. Here's how you know. You come up to a person you care about, and you begin to talk to them about the love of Jesus and that there's a better way to live than just living for yourself and and other things that you would say and and to, to love God and to believe God. And as you're saying those things to them, it's like talking to this, this two before right here or whatever this is, a four or five. It, it, it's like it has no power to respond. It, it, it's like you're just talking to sheetrock. Come on, sheetrock, don't you understand how good God is? Come on, too, before, don't you understand that there's a better way to live than trashing your life in this pursuit? But it's like talking to wood. Here's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us. When did he start loving us? When we cleaned up our act, started going to church, decided to quit messing around? No. He loved us before we ever took a step toward him. He loved us before we ever changed because of his great love, which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, as not as a result of works, that no one should boast. 
meaning that this gift of God, the ability to believe, the ability to be saved by grace through faith, the ability to believe is something that God has to give to the two before. God has to put it in the sheetrock. God has to put it in the hearts of ones who are spiritually dead, but his heart is to do that. So listen, how many moms, how many moms have, have prayed? It's as if a son was being carried to be buried because of the life that he was choosing, because of the trash that he had brought into other people's lives. And there's a grieving mom, a grieving mom, my boy, my son, my child is dead. Enter Jesus. Enter Jesus, who has compassion for the cries of that mother and who's able. Here, here's, here's the thing that'll, I'm telling you, it'll blow your hat in the creek when you realize this. So specific is the love of God for you that if he has to, he will call your name himself. Young man, young man, I say to you, arise. Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He has the ability when it's time to bring life to a dead heart to call the name into the spirit of that spirit that has been dead. And somehow the call of the Lord begins to awaken faith, begins to awaken heart, begins to awaken a change. And the rest is history. The rest is history. He still raises the dead. I want us to pray. We're going to stop right now and pray. We're going to pray for businesses, pray for relationships, We're going to pray for the Lord to raise the dead in the lives of the ones we care about. But even if you're, if you're listening to this and hearing this, and, and there's just a sense there's a part of me, I hear this talk about Jesus and God and all that stuff, but it just, it just doesn't hit me. It's out there. What if a part of the Lord... The Lord's heart for you being in on this today is to encourage you just to begin to, Lord, there's a part of me that's dead. I'm asking you to bring life to my heart. So, Lord, here we are. Here we are before you. We come to you with our businesses. We come to you with our means of livelihood. We come to you, Lord, with the works of our hands. And we're wanting you to bless the works of our hands. We read where it is your heart to do that, that, that you would prosper your servant. And Lord, I ask you, we ask you today to so posture us, so set my heart in hearing from you that I will know clearly what you want me to do in my business and with my business. Lord, will you unstop my ears where, where I've been listening to things that are not important and may I now begin to hear you for the things that you would want me to say. I accept as your business plan for my life, Micah 4, 6. What does the Lord require of you? Or 6, 4. What does the Lord require of you? Accept that you do what's right. Help me to do what's right in my business, Lord. Help me to do what's right. To do what's right. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with my God. Lord, will you show me how in my business, in my in my relationships with folks I do business with, how I can be an avenue through which your mercy, your kindness flows. Lord, will you forgive me for the times that I've only been interested in bottom line? I've only been interested in manipulating conversations so I can get a deal done, and I could care less about the person. Lord, thank you that you're alive in me. Change that part in me. 
I commit my business to you. I commit my work to you. I commit my, I just ask you for your favor to be on my life. And you need to say this too, folks. I commit to you at least the first 10% of that which you bless me with. Why should he bless you with more income if there is not the honoring him with what you have now? That's why it's a percent and not an amount. The first 10% belongs to the Lord. We can always work our way around it, but don't, don't, don't. If, if you want his favor, that, that's, that may be that first step. To Peter, he said, push out in the deep water, for you may, may be saying, honor me, trust me, prove that Malachi 3.10 in your life. And then, Lord, we come to the, to, to the one so hurt and bruised by relationships. God, God, please have mercy. Have mercy upon those who have been lied about, have no way to defend themselves. That they are, they are left with a great separation between where they are and the one they really do care about. Lord, we're asking you in the name of Jesus to show yourself strong on the side of truth. We ask you to expose every lie of Satan, every entrenchment, reinforcement, buttressing of that lie in the heart of the one that we need, we long to be set free of that lie. And we pray in the name of Jesus that you will, you will cause the freedom to come, the truth and the freedom to come in those relationships, that you'll heal them, you'll heal them, you'll restore them in the name of Jesus according to your heart. And then, Lord, we pray, we pray for ones who are on our hearts right now and their souls just seem to give no indication of spiritual life. They're very much alive, but alive unto themselves. And yet there's a longing within our hearts that they come to know you and that the things that they don't see as destruction, the things that they don't see as, as grievous and hurtful to ones around them, Lord, only you can open their eyes. We, we can talk, but it's like talking to sheetrock or talking to two-by-fours. Lord, you're the only one who can speak to their hearts. We're asking you in the name of Jesus, please, Lord, call the names. Call the names. Call the names. Draw them into a relationship with you that only we can describe, but they are the only ones who can experience it, Lord, between you and them. And Lord, I pray for someone who's listening to this and hearing this and feeling like that, that there's a part within themselves that, that is just dead and, it, and, and it, it, it isn't life. It isn't alive to things of the Lord and Spirit that you would give to them that sense that even if they notice it, that's movement. Even if they're aware that there was a lack or there was a loss, that's movement. That's the touch of God in their hearts. Lord, would you give them the ability to just keep crying out? Lord, make your presence known to me. Lord Jesus, make your presence known to me. Lord Jesus, make your presence known to me in ways that I will know it's you. Folks, he doesn't expect us to save ourselves. He doesn't expect us to change ourselves on our own. That's his work to do. All he's wanting us to do is to respond to him as the steps are given. Lord, I receive this from you. I receive this from you. Take me the rest of the way, Lord Jesus. Take me the rest of the way. In Jesus' name, and all the Lord's people said, amen. Now, I want to close with just one, one other thing. The Lord has put together in the Alamo City family an amazing and wonderful and trusted group of intercessors, ones who feel a call upon their lives to pray. They don't go around talking about who they're praying for and what the issues were. 
It's, it's completely guarded and careful and before the Lord. I, for those of you where any one of these things that we talked about today have hit you and there is a specific area in your life where you need prayer, a breakthrough, a change, faith to believe, the, the, the rescue from, from lies, whatever it would be, Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. If you will take that email address, pastorwalker at alamocity.org, and write, give us an email account. It doesn't have to be long. It only needs enough information for us to know what to pray about. The details we don't necessarily need to know. Just enough to know to be able to be in prayer with you about. Here in San Antonio, in the Texas region, throughout the nation, around the world, I just feel strongly that we need to make available an opportunity for prayer requests to be collected so that there can be prayer offered up in agreement with your heart and in agreement with the Lord's heart that these things be done in his timing and in his way. Write that email out briefly, however you, whatever you want to put in it, and just send it to, to Pastor Walker at alamocity.org, and it will be immediately gotten to our intercessors, and they will begin to pray. What we'll ask you to do is to send to us updates. If, you've, if you're asking us to pray, then when the Lord knocks down the walls of Jericho, when he takes Goliath out, when he sets whoever free, we're praying for it. Let us know for goodness sake so we can rejoice with you. Amen? Okay. God bless you all for being a part of this time together this morning. We love you. Grateful for you. Bless you for your support in helping us do what we're able to do in this season. God bless you. God bless you. One more song, one more song, Amen. Thank and you, we'll Pastor go. Walker. Thank you, Lisa and Rick. What a wonderful message.